Welcome to the Growing With Purpose podcast. I'm Paul Spiegelman, and we're going behind the scenes with very special leaders, learning about what shaped them into who they are in business and in life. As a business owner, are you continually searching for less stress, more time freedom, and increased profits? Prosper for Business by Mackie might be the solution you've been looking for. Prosper for Business is both an executive coaching program and fractional CFO service designed to deliver exceptional results through increased education, visibility, and accountability. Prosper for Business graduate Jude Hemmen, CEO of Furlong Building Enterprises, said, The decision to work with Mackey was a life changer. They truly care about our success and give us the tools to do so. Working with the Mackey team also helped Julie Bach, owner of the Bach Group, see things in the business she hadn't seen before that led her to the business being more efficient, productive, and profitable. Does Prosper for Business sound like the right next step for your business? Visit MackeyAdvisors.com slash smallgiants. That's M-A-C-K-E-Y Advisors.com slash smallgiants to learn more. My guest today is Andrew Berry. Andrew is the founder and CEO of Curious Lion, a company that specializes in high-performance leadership. He has an extensive background in learning and development and even hosts his own podcast called the Learning Culture Podcast. Welcome, Andrew. Paul, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. So how do you build a learning culture? (laughs) We're starting right at the top. I love it. Let's go right to it because I, you know, most organizations probably can't define themselves that way. And and, uh, to be able to build a culture around learning is something that I think many leaders aspire to. So how do you teach them how to do that? Yeah, well, so it all it all starts with the leaders, um, and being able to model the the kind of behavior that I'll describe now is is really the the, the key point, and I think that's where we focus on as well as as um, for our consultancy is is with that leadership development. Some of this, can, a lot of this, uh, can be taught, but a lot of it also comes down to you know the kind of things that that I know the small giants community cares about, which is values and, and moral standing and you know, purpose. Uh, so I think those kind of things need to be in place. But really, a learning culture, what it looks like is the the sort of lack of fear. It's not really a lack of fear. It's a courage despite the fear and the uncertainty of um, making mistakes. So it's sort of a courage in the face of that. And then seeing mistakes as opportunities to learn and then being really intentional about that learning process. And there's a bunch of stuff we can get into there about bringing how you bring people together and how you get the most out of that that experience. But that's that's essentially it. So you can think of it embodied in one person. You know, it's essentially that growth mindset. But we like to you know then look at that across the organization. How do you set up um, the structures and systems that then because you can't create this culture, but you can cultivate it, and, and that's the work we do. Does a company need to have a foundational? culture of some type you talked about purpose values you know what needs to be in place in order for you to get the appropriate commitment from the kind of clients that you work with yeah that's a great question and i think the simple answer is awareness um i think 
the the fact i think every company has a culture right whether you like it or not and it's about you know culture is essentially the the, the shared assumptions that people have around how we do things here right and so that exists no matter what it often starts it and 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 stems from the founder or, um the founding team but um yeah so it's essentially just having an awareness of what is in terms of that culture right now and then um i guess a, a sort of a courage as well to say maybe these parts of it are not ideal and, and this is not going to help us become sustainable, right? That's kind of a key thing here. How do we survive before we can thrive? And being able to let go of some of those things and be able to embrace new things like courage in the face of failure, for example. So yeah, sort of an active intention to want to improve that culture, I think is also key. Yeah. If I'm a CEO of, a, let's say, a small or mid-sized company, or again, could be large, I don't know what a typical client is for you, but what's the commitment I'm going to be making in terms of the process to get there realistically? There's some sort of engagement, but how do you maintain a culture like that? Yeah, so I think we, we approach it from the point of view of saying, at the beginning, we need to help shift mindsets. So and we talked about the awareness of what is. We, we talk about kind of a visioning process. And that's obviously um, something that we bond over in the small giants community. But having that kind of process to say what could be. And then, you know, that, that sort of bravery to, to embrace that change, right? Because that, that's the difficult part for people, the change and, and transformation. And so that commitment looks like, we're going to come in and, and we're going to try and change the mindsets of, of people on the team and recognize that not everyone's going to want to be more innovative, be more creative, be more risk-taking. And that's probably a good thing, right? Because you can't have too much of that either. Um, but how do we sort of identify and cultivate those abilities and then combine them with the structures and systems and you know infrastructure that we've set up to, to keep, kind of keep that balance of the company that can learn and adapt because that's ultimately what this comes down to and and actually one other thing i'll say on that is that i mentioned innovation and this is the key i think one of our core beliefs is that you can't you can't you can't create the perfect plan and i think a lot of what is out there right now in terms of training methodology is about optimizing the plan and and, and like that's good i think it's useful it's nice it's really helpful to have frameworks to do that but I think optimizing the plan is the wrong focus. I think optimizing the planner is is the key because right plans always have to adapt when they get exposed to reality, right? Often right away, and it's that ability to plan that's way more important. To be able to do that constantly and create new plans and do it in the moment is way more important than any you know plan that is produced by this process. So you're really focused on the people and giving them the tools to be able to create, implement, and maintain a plan over time. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like I, I think in the knowledge economy, and I think most people would agree with this, but it still feels like it needs to be said that people are the biggest asset that any company mm -hmm. has, right? And that knowledge that's in there, and I think companies can be a lot more intentional about managing, you know, that knowledge and, and increasing it and growing it and there's, we look at a whole lot of different ways where you can do that internally. You also do it externally by bringing in the right experts at the right time. Um, but there's just, yeah, I think, I think a, lot, a lot more can be done from companies broadly around protecting and growing that asset of people. Yeah. One thing, Andrew, that I experienced, you know, I had my own company for almost 30 years. I went and worked for a large company. 
uh, all on the culture side. And uh, there seemed to be this wavering commitment to building a learning organization, meaning that when times got tough financially and there were more performance and financial goals, then that commitment seemed to dilute a little bit or even go away. Like, you know what, we're going to take away that training program either internally or we're going to stop paying for our folks to go to outside workshops, right? How do you you battle that? I'm sure that's what you've seen in some of your customers. Yeah, definitely. And that's, uh, I think we've all had that experience. Um, Yeah, I think, I think there's this, I I see that as um, a function of sort of a cycle of short-term thinking or present bias Mm -hmm. is is, right. That kind of psychological effect here where, we, as all of us, are psychologically prone to favor instant gratification, and right. So we want to maximize things as quickly as possible. This is also it's a macro thing. This is how capital markets value companies. So it's often just that's you know the, the only way to do it is to grow at a certain rate that is agreed upon by a bunch of people. And so there's all these external pressures to do that, and it's easy to fall into that trap. Often there's two kind of related points to this that I think are important when when you're trapped in a cycle of short-term thinking and again let me just say this isn't wrong in and of itself right this is just the extreme of this is the problem Um, Mm -hmm. a certain amount of short-term thinking is is definitely important to execute but if you're too in that you 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 kind of fall into this second trap which is this illusion of control and you know that famous management adage um, what gets measured gets managed Um, and so we think that if you know, and we can measure so many things, so we think it all matters. And then we try and managing, we try to manage all of these metrics. And the final problem of this sort of three pronged challenge is that when you're in that mindset of trying to manage all the metrics, and we think that's going to move everything forward, is that the metric and the goal are two different things, right? The map is not the territory. And so now, there's a danger in over-optimizing for that short-term metric-driven approach where you actually, in, in, in AI has made this quite popular now, it's called overfitting, where you actually extend, you actually start to move away from the goal, right? So at some point, like in, in the early stages, the, the metric is a great proxy for the goal. And then, so you often see success early on. You know, you come in, you bring in, we see this in sales organizations a lot. They'll bring in a new methodology and it will get everyone speaking the same language. You know, it, it creates tools and templates for them to use. And so you see a lot of great success early on, which is great. But that taken to the extreme actually starts to lead people away from the goal. And so mm-hmm. they start to lose, you know, touch with their customers. They don't understand the real pain points of the buyer. Like all like the, the really like what sales comes down to kind of things. Um, and so, yeah, we're trying to, help companies figure out that balance between the short-term and the sort of more long-term approach of developing people and learning organizations. You know, it's such a great approach. Sounds like you've been doing this for a while, Andrew. Um, When did you start your company? How did it come about? Yeah, this is the funny part. That's what I've been so looking forward to talking to you about. This wasn't the plan at all. Um, I think I've found myself getting more and more into the, this, um, I almost want to call it a philosophy of learning organizations, but how it all started was six years ago. Um, I So I have a background in uh, accounting, actually. I'm a qualified accountant. I worked at KPMG for 12 years. I traveled from South Africa to here. 
Um, and I was always in the adult education side of things. We were, we were doing internal training and then I started to sell executive training for them. I worked at a startup for a little bit. And then my big insight when I started Curious Lion was that we were going to create high production quality video, learning videos for banks, right? For like compliance training and stuff like that. And I had a friend who worked at JP Morgan at the time and we were talking about this and he thought it was a great idea. And it felt like it, yeah, this is the thing, you know, and that sort of that conversation, that that relationship gave me the confidence to start Curious Lion. And I have never sold a compliance video to a bank in my life. It just <laughs> never, it never happened, you know, and we created a portfolio of them to sort of show around and it just never, never happened. It was it's obvious in retrospect that um, compliance training is kind of this check the box thing. It wasn't really moving the needle. And so why would they invest money in, in it? You know? Um, so, so that was, that was a good kind of early lesson that, you know, the, the market is going to tell you what it wants. And so there I was, I found myself in a market looking to, I had a skill that I could help people turn, you know, knowledge in their heads into training and so I started just doing that. In the beginning, it was kind of just me, just just taking on project by project. And um, yeah, I mean, we can we can get into the the sort of turning point. But there was one client that we eventually landed after the first year, I think, that um, really kind of started to accelerate the move to this learning organization focus. And and what's the scope of the business today? How many employees? Any any idea of size? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we are 15 people at the moment. Um, it, it's grown nicely, steadily. We had a really, really good year last year. Um, and so we've, we've got a, a great portfolio of, of enterprise size clients like Pinterest and PageDuty and IMG and a lot really large companies. And I think like most companies, we've, we've had a pretty rough 2023 in that. And, and I want to qualify that and say, it's just become a lot harder. And I don't know if yeah. you've seen this as well, right? And people are, yeah. like, it feels like it's so, it's, which I don't know, I think is a bad thing at all. I think it's actually, I know I, as a business owner, I needed this because it had come a bit too easily for me. And uh, this year I found myself wanting in some in some areas and had to really, really kind of buckle up and, and, and figure stuff out. And, and it's been, it's been a good, a good learning curve so far. Yeah, I think that's a common refrain we're hearing a lot. So you're yeah. definitely not alone. Yeah. Um, are, are, are the services that you provide also things that smaller companies would benefit from? Can they, can they access the kind of work that, that you do? Or do you find it's, yeah. it's more for larger, multifaceted organizations? Yeah, so our sort of hands-on consulting work is, is definitely more for larger organizations, I found. Um, it's hard for us to really do the deep work that we do um, at, uh, at sort of smaller budget sizes. So, so we typically tend to work with few clients a year with, at very large, you know, account mm -hmm. sizes. Um, mm -hmm. That's kind of a model. But, but where this new, you know, we, we can talk a little bit more about this, the leadership workshop that that we're working on. It's, it's a sort of approach that for me kind of sits on the the tip of the spear in in terms of our business model. Where it's the first, the first time that we've had a, a a very legible positioning and go to market around our services. We've always kind of just positioned ourselves as content agnostic. We can create the most engaging learning experiences on anything you want, right? And that's been great. It's definitely served us well. But I, like this is you know, it's, we mentioned how tough the year has been, but it's also made 
it's made, and I think it's a little bit is because of our positioning was too broad. And so um, those two factors combined, suddenly we have to get into new markets and be able to make, you know, brand, like people who've never heard of us understand what we do. And so there's this, this workshop is giving us that legibility a little bit. Mm. And just to come back to your, your question, I think what we're able to do with this workshop is, is share a lot of free content um, on, on some of the methods that we use because everyone should know how to do this. Everyone should be able to use these techniques and everyone can. So that's the best part. Um, where we provide extra value is in our ability to facilitate the process for clients. But there's absolutely no reason that a self-determined, motivated business owner out there of any size company couldn't learn how to do this stuff themselves. And that, that's part of our mission for sure. Well, and I think what that mission means is that you're evolving from being a service provider to being a thought leader. And there's going to be so many other organizations and leaders that are going to be able to take advantage of your expertise that way. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting one as well. I think for any any business owners listening, as I, I've um, grappled with that a bit this year, actually, because, you know, personally, I think I will, I, I am quite fulfilled um, exploring complex ideas and coming up with insights and, and that kind of thing and sharing what I learn. And that's obviously, you know, on the, the thought leadership side. But my business, is is probably is the service business and so that's actually been quite interesting help as i've figured out how to navigate growing a service business that needs to operate without me um and then kind of the the thought leadership piece and sort of how those relate to help each other out a bit as well yeah that's quite an interesting journey um and i'm glad you're on it but now i want to focus on you a little bit more andrew i want to take you back and where did all this sensibility come from kind of your own leadership experience, what kind of experiences, you know, tell me about your, your childhood, you know, your, your folks, maybe early jobs. What, what were those early yeah. influences? Yeah, I think um, I've done a lot of reflecting on this. So it's, it's, it's nice to be able to talk about it with someone who, who thinks about this stuff as well. Um, I think, I think I look at my parents as sort of one thing that I got from each of them. That's really helping what I do now. Um, on my mom's side, it's a, uh, it's this when you when you meet my mom like she's got this she had this amazing ability to welcome people in no matter you know and she had this like sort of natural instinct to welcome the new person the outsider and so there's an inclusiveness that that I've gotten from her and I'm like kind of the biggest fan of the underdog you know or like the sports mm. teams whenever I pick a new team and a new sport that I'm getting into it's always an underdog team and so yeah so that I think that's been really good and that's obviously playing out really nicely now as an ability to bring people together to learn, you know, and, and include and build culture. That's I see this in my own company as well. Um, and on my dad's side, it's it's this like organizational ability. I mean, that's just always been his thing. He was an accountant as well. Um, now in his retirement, he just can't stop like helping communities with you know organize block watches and you know just stuff like that. You know, so he's kind of always had that ability to organize groups of people to do things. Um, and so that's that's definitely helpful. And then I guess one, the last one is a friend of my dad's actually who was kind of the entrepreneurial spark for me because I, my dad is not like that at all. And so, you know, the, the path for me and the path that I was brought into as well, I was ready to do this was to kind of become a chartered accountant, work my way up, become the CEO of a company, you know, and like my dad was a company man, right? He's in like 40, 35, 40 years at his company. This guy taught me so i finished when i finished matric so grade 12 here in the u.s 
um, I was pretty good at mathematics and I had been, I was working in this, the company that my dad worked at, you know, like an intern just getting paid hourly. And he was like, why don't you teach you know, high school kids maths? Why don't you do that as, as the way to, to make money this, you know, this summer or whatever. And, and like that idea hadn't occurred to me. You know what I mean? Like I just, it hadn't occurred to me that I could just start my own thing and just charge people money and make, you know, so mm-hmm. that was kind of my first experience with entrepreneurship. And I'm forever, ever grateful for him opening that door for me. Cause I think since then, I, since then I've just basically become more and more unemployable as, as I've gotten <laughs> older. <laughs> um, and I don't think that would have happened if it wasn't for his influence. Now, when did you get here from South Africa? 12 years. Yeah, actually, th- thirteen years now. Okay, yeah, twenty ten. Yeah, yeah. What was that like? Yeah, um, I think the biggest thing I, I learned from coming here. So South Africa is small, you know, especially the town and the. I mean, every part of South Africa, but it, you know, so you everyone knows everyone, and you you have your identity somewhat. In, I mean, definitely not somewhat, but definitely influenced by the people around you because it's so small, like everyone knows you and they know who you were growing up and stuff. The, I think one of the biggest things I saw that came here and I, I came, I came with KPMG and I was working in a corporate office in New Jersey, but I also decided early on that I wanted to live in Manhattan and that experience just, it really kind of met a lot of Americans and became friends with a lot. Um, and really taught me this American mindset of you can be anything and and that was incredibly freeing for me because i i literally did that i could just reinvent kind of the, the character the story the things the future the vision and and i and i set about doing that and it was yeah i kind of never looked back i know you had some mentors at kpmg particularly female mentors can you talk about that yeah, yeah, actually, an amazing um, trio of of their of of incredible female leaders at the company um, who just kind of like backed me, and I think that was the biggest thing. They they saw they definitely saw that I was not like I don't want to make it sound like I'm some maverick or anything, but like you know, I could tell like I was a, a bit different in the way I thought about things, and and they just um, they just sort of it, it kind of uh lends into that you know like supported that so the you know the, the one in johannesburg when this opportunity comes to the to the united states came up just backed me to the hilt even though she was losing me on the team you know back then mm. i was like a facilitator for workshops yeah so you know so but she but she did that um then the, the one the leader here was her name so this was um heidi Falsbank, uh eileen walsh who is like one of the first partners in insurance in KPMG in New York City. You know, she became a partner in like the 70s or 80s or something. It's incredibly male-dominated, um, you know, environment. So she was a she was enough firecracker, is a firecracker. Um, and she also saw something in me, backed me. She she joined this a policy board and she invited me onto that. And it was an incredible sort of exposure to a lot more senior leaders. So that was huge. Um, and then I had one more after that, uh, Trisha Masloff, who ha- has had an amazing career at KPMG. She ran, she actually was a maverick as well. So she came up with the idea that KPMG should sell training externally and created this executive education team. And she brought me in to, to head up the content for that. So, yeah, it, it's, it's been such a blessing to have these three women who kind of um, saw something in me and 
and back that. And it's definitely definitely got me here. Yeah, so that I wanted to dig into that. What do you think that they saw in you? Why were they willing to invest time and energy with you? Um, what kind of characteristics do you think drew them in to wanting to support you that way? Yeah, I mean, uh, probably the two that I mentioned, um, inclusivity and, and organizational ability. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You know, I think those definitely shone through. I think the other one is probably curiosity. Um, I think once I can, and, and they, so they kind of understood that and knew that if they gave me a little bit of a, it's, you know, a little bit more of a free reign, like I, it's like joining this policy board, which wasn't part of my job description, like starting this executive thing was also, was kind of out, out of the norm. These things were all just example. Even coming here, right from Johannesburg, um, were all things that they sort of let me do. I think knowing that, if, or maybe seeing that the things that I was curious about, I would put. I mean, I could work forever for free, doing you know, and that yeah. like, and and that, and then have this amazing ability to just produce quality work because I was so interested in in the topic. So, yeah, that's probably that's probably what it was. And what allowed you the courage to leave KPMG? Um, you know, real solid career there for many years. Yeah. Um, a lot of people would just stick with that for for life. What what gave you yeah. the ability to to jump and do your own thing? Yeah, this is such a key moment, right? And we want to see a lot more of this in in America and, and around the world, right? We want to see more entrepreneurs who who feel that that um, courage to do that. And I think, honestly, for me, it was kind of, I, I took it baby steps. So I, I don't have a big story. Like I just, you know, stopped and I maxed out my credit card and, I, you know, I just went for it. Um, I took, I, so I, I had friends who started a very successful hospitality training business in South Africa. They grew um, eventually the head, headquarter in Geneva. And then I joined them first. So my first port of call was with a, you know, very volatile, but fairly, fairly um, up and coming startup. And so I started their New York office and I did that for about a year and a half. And so that was like, I was very, I had to be very entrepreneurial, but I didn't know the first thing about it. So I was kind of learning as I went and I, I still had, I was working for them, right? So I still had that security of a salary. Um, so that was helpful. I got to learn like how to be self-sufficient and self-starting and all these things that you have to, and all of the mistakes you have to make. And I got to, to make those without feeling it too, too, too badly financially. And um, yeah, so that was helpful. And then, like I said, the, the JP Morgan friend, it just really felt like I was going to start with this at the gate with this amazingly large contract with JP Morgan. So it, maybe it was false confidence at that point, mm-hmm. but, um, but I, I was definitely ready and, and I, had to, I had to start it and, and start learning. You know, that was the biggest thing. Well, that's, that's a great lesson too, that you can do this. You can take small steps. You don't have to make a huge jump. Um, and over time, even though you're making mistakes along the way, you're you're able to create something and you've been able to create something really special. Andrew, can you think of an unexpected learning from an unexpected source somewhere along the way? Yeah. Um, so the one that comes to mind, I don't, there's a. Um, it's actually going to probably spoil the answer to one of my one of my quick hit questions. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I. Um, so I, in college, I got dreadlocks done to my hair. I was, um, mm. you know, was kind of out there a little bit. Um, and so the final year of college was kind of my postgraduate degree. Um, I was this barefoot guy with dreadlocks walking around campus. Um, and that was, um, I carried that into work. Now I got shoes, but I was, uh, I still had dreadlocks. And I was working my first year at KPMG with, with dreadlocks. And 
I had a partner at the time, a young guy who's just made partner who kind of understood it. I suppose also like the, the other woman I mentioned backed me. Um, and he said, as long as you, you know, look professional and in every other way, I don't think he agreed. He definitely didn't agree with the dreadlocks, but he, he accepted them. And um, the biggest lesson is that the clients that I would go to, I mean, and this wasn't just actually in the work setting, it was all over life, was people form opinions of you very, you know, right away. And so when you're walking around with dreadlocks, those opinions tend to go one way, you know, like who's this mm-hmm. hothead stoner doesn't know what he's, you know, what is going on here, you know? And then when I was able to engage in conversation and show, you know, for example, in a work setting that I knew their business as an, I was auditing them, that I knew it, understood it, you know, felt the challenges that they were going through. Then it, it, there was a surprise always, you know, like, oh, wow, this is not what I expected, you know? And I think that just taught me that the, that we all do that. You know, I do that as well. Make, you know, have these first impressions, these judgments of people. And um, yeah, I've learned to, I still do. It's not saying that I don't, but I, I've learned to kind of question them and, and evaluate those judgments uh, from that experience. Yeah, that's a great, a great lesson. Um, so, so today, what I know you talked a little bit about 2023 and what's going on overall. What do you consider to be the biggest challenges for Curious Lion? Yeah, yeah, I think it's really dialing in this positioning and and our go to market approach around it. I think my I, I saw something recently about this. Uh, David Baker um, kind of works with companies similar to mine, creative agencies. Talks about how you know there's the first sort of four to six years, and I'm like right in that right now, five or six, um, You there's this momentum where the, the founder, the principal's network is a big factor in the business growth. And there's a lot of, you know, fresh, new, vibrant energy around it. And, and you know, that's kind of been my experience. It, it Looking back, it was, it's been a little bit easy, you know, and how big projects have landed with us. And of course, you know, we're putting in a lot of work and I, I also have to remind myself to kind of give myself some credit for that, but it does, it has felt like it's come somewhat easy. And this year has been nothing, you know, nothing, but nothing easy about it. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so, th- so that, that's been, I think our next, our next focus now is to get that positioning and that whole go-to-market strategy around it. Cause we have to be proactive now about growing the business. It's not just coming to us anymore. Yeah, that's true. That only happens for a period of time. And right. then you gotta um go out to the market and you gotta look at your brand and your messaging and and you know, in, in organizations such as yours, and that's why I asked those questions at the beginning, it's mm-hmm. sometimes easy to be so general or to be a generalist that yeah. um that uh it's hard for the potential customer to, to know, okay, what it, what is it specifically that you do? You know, yeah. what do you specialize and and how do I know that you specialize in what I need? And yeah. so it's this constant balance back and forth. But you know what? It's uh, knowing how you look at life and how you look at business and how curious you are. Um, this is going to be a really important and uh, I think impactful phase for your yeah. business growth. And I think that's that's great. You know, along yeah. the way, um, Andrew, you're. You're learning and growing yourself. Can you think of a time where you made a, a really humbling decision as a leader? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to answer that question. I just want to reiterate a point that you made me think of there as well, is that the it, it, it's, again, that, that sort of separation between 
me and my business and how you know the 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 being a generalist is actually what you do want to be as the leader of that business right like i think that's that's an important thing to to maintain but to not let that become the business it's, itself and so i i've started to this like i feel like some business owners get this really soon it took me quite a while but to sort of start to understand the separation between me and my ability to produce like as a you know as a job mm-hmm. where someone pays mm-hmm. me but our and my company's ability to and and value and sort of positioning as, as something separate from me and that that distinction now has been I, i've like finally kind of fully understood that and seen to your point the company has to have a lot more specificity i can continue to be a generalist as i grow that business um and just finding the healthy balance there yes yes yeah. absolutely right yeah. So yeah. Yeah, cool to hear you, you, you've had that same experience. Yeah. In terms of humbling decisions, I mean, it, it's, it's letting someone go, you know, we, we've had to do that um, once or twice um, so far and it doesn't get any easier. You know, it's, it really sucks. And I, I think there's, I could probably always have done it sooner. That's probably another lesson. Like I think it, it's some, my tendency to kind of keep the person on and let's try and make it work. Let's give them another chance. Um, and often that's just not, it's definitely not good for the business, but it's often not good for them either. So yeah, those, those kind of decisions are really hard and I don't think we'll ever get any easier. Well, one or two people over five and six years is a pretty good track record as it is. And I, I will warn you, it will, it will never get easier, but you will learn to do it more quickly because when you know in your gut that that person doesn't belong with the organization long-term, uh, they, you owe it to them to act and they may thrive somewhere else. And, mm. um, and somehow, sometimes as leaders, the rest of the team is looking at us and saying, once we finally even make that decision, what took you mm. so long? Right. Yeah. So, but it's, 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 it's not, it's not easy at all. And, uh, um, yeah. and you can, you can get that and you feel that. So as you look at your own leadership journey, Andrew, is there a, a part of leadership that you feel like you still need to improve on? Yeah, um, I think for me it's storytelling. Uh, I think that's something I've identified as as it's it doesn't come it hasn't come naturally to me. Um, as, in fact, as I'm learning more about stories, that's a big part of of the problem solving stuff that we do. Um, is that we are all born creative. We're all born with this ability to tell stories, and it's literally how we've survived as a as a society. You know, like stories are the one of the greatest. Sh- technologies we've ever invented you know they, they literally helped us solve problems not like how to start a fire or how to build a boat but how to be courageous in the face of death and how to live and how to love and you know so they have this incredible power um and as a we use them for thinking purposes obviously storytelling for communication and persuasion um, but i think just in general like really understanding how to tell powerful, impactful stories is something I am very actively working on right now. Yeah, it's a great thing to be working on and something I've been working on for years between being an an introvert and then secondly, feeling like no one was really interested in listening to my stories. (laughs) Uh, And so once, yeah, once you get over that, then, and then people are curious and do care and you tell that story and it comes from the heart then it really yeah. brings a lot to you and the and the audience as well. Well, that's it. I mean, I so I can relate to what you said, and and it's the the realization is that there are some people that care, like you said, but there are also some that don't, and that's okay, right? Yeah. Like 
getting used to that. I'm like, oh, it's actually like it's actually it's actually better that you've got because at least there's something that they can not care about. You know what I mean? Like there's there's something, especially if it's even more than just not caring, if they disagree with what you're saying. That I've started to learn is actually not a bad thing. I think I've sort of shied away from that a lot and try to be too much everything to everybody. Going back to kind of our theme from earlier. And, and I think that's also a big part of it as well, just being like a lot more, uh, I guess, just a lot more like bold in, and confident in certain points of view, like you said, because the people that do resonate with that will resonate for, like fully, you know, what you want. And that, yeah, that's what you want. You want people that do resonate to come toward you and to be a part of your network. Yeah. And, and that means you have to risk those that don't agree or exactly. don't really care. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so lastly, Andrew, what, what, yeah. even though you're still smack in the middle of this journey, what would you give to, what kind of advice would you give to a younger person just starting out? Yeah. Um, it sort of popped in my head earlier as we were talking. Um, and I'm, um, I, I think it's just start earlier. You know, like you, I think you, if you have a, if you have a really good idea, um, that you believe in and it's not, it's not even, you don't even have to like have confidence in the idea. That's actually probably a dangerous thing to have you've got to take the intent the uh, attitude of i'm going to see if this idea resonates right and so and be okay with it if it doesn't because that just means you're going to get better at coming up with other ideas that will eventually become the idea that you know resonates and that's something that you can be passionate about and, and connect with your purpose and values um and so yeah just i think that you know this is advice that i wish i had to start it up but honestly wish I, I should use more often now it's just Get get those ideas out there sooner. Start sooner. Don't make excuses because the more the quicker you can do that, the quicker you can get feedback whether or not the thing you you care about is you know universally accepted or, or cared about by enough people that that makes it a, a worthwhile thing to pursue. I think that's great advice. Also, the longer you go, sometimes the harder it becomes as you mm. um, maybe start raising a family. You have you know the economic pressures and others that when you get kind of stuck in your ways um so um the sooner the better um or if you've been at what you've been doing in the corporate world for 25 years there's still time you can always do it and you can make that jump so um, you've done it in a in a very elegant way and uh you know you're (laughs) you know you're kind of reaping the rewards right now and still a long way to go so um wonderful story andrew I appreciate that. I just want to quickly chime in and say it may look elegant and I, that's a great compliment. I really appreciate it. it never feels like it. And that maybe is another well, yeah. piece of advice in there as well, right? It's like, <laughs> if it doesn't, it doesn't look great inside, like, it, you know, it, keep going. You, you'll be fine. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We all, we all had to grind for lots of years and make yeah. lots of mistakes along the way. It's never, never easy. Um, but it sure, it sure sounds good in the, in the scheme of things and, and, yeah. and, uh, so much more, um, uh, runway ahead for you. I can see, well, I want to end Andrew with these quick hit questions, just uh, kind of like the association game, just quickly the yeah. first thing that comes to your mind. Um, how about a leader that you look up to? Yeah, it's a, for me, it's Nelson Mandela. Um, obviously, mm. hugely influential in South Africa, but specifically around, you know, he was, I've read a lot of books about him and he's, he was a very flawed man, right? Like like everyone is, um, but he, you know, wasn't a great husband. He was not a great father, um, did not have much relationship with his kids. And he did some crazy stuff, you know, when they were um, 
revolting against apartheid. He suffered really greatly as a result of that, spent all those years in prison. Um, and despite all of those things, he accepted himself as this flawed human being. He accepted his suffering and he forgave people when he came out of prison. And that was, you know, I mean, no one can tell how much of an impact that had on South Africa as a country, right? I don't think South Africa would be, it, as a, it wouldn't be a country. You know, I think it was, would have erupted mm. into civil war. And, uh, yeah. but, but he did that. And that was an incredible move, incredibly selfless move. And um, yeah, and he also just, I think, had this amazing ability to communicate and, and uh, tell stories as well, which is something I admire. Yeah, uh, what a wonderful example. How about a great book that influenced your leadership style? Yeah, um, so this one is actually, um, it's not really a business book. It's uh, Falling Upward by Father Richard Rohr. Um, mm. And yeah, a really fascinating book about the sort of two phases of life um, and how we all, you know, not all of us actually go into the second and but just what the second looks like and um, in a, re a real kind of, key element of the transition is letting go of control. Uh, mm. and, and that's been a big, big thing for me. I think that's like, I'm an Enneagram eight and um, control is a very important part of, of my life. And learning to let go of that has been really freeing. Um, yeah, so so that book, was, I just thought was one of the best to kind of delve into the, what that looks like. That sounds like a great resource. How about an all time favorite movie? Empire Records. This I don't know if many have watched this. It's like this weird, like kind of it's just a nostalgic, feel-good movie about these underdog kids who run a record store and they they turn it around. Um, yeah, it was, it was super fun to watch. Oh wow, really fun! Uh, do you have a favorite TV series that you like to binge watch? Um, I'm gonna have to go all time because we haven't done morning shows actually. The, the the current one, which is which is really good, but Breaking Bad is is the one that comes to mind that that I've watched twice the full you know full thing through. So yeah, yeah, that show. yeah. Breaking Bad is great, and morning show is really good too. I'm into yeah. uh, season three. <laughs> yeah, right. exactly, um, yeah, exactly. it's it's really good. All right. So yeah. lastly, what's something about you that most people don't know? Yeah. So I was gonna say the dreadlock thing. Um, Let's see. What what's another thing? Um, I uh, maybe so so I'm uh, I'm obsessed with lions. So you you can see it in my company name. Mm -hmm. My son's name is is Leo. Um, oh. I'm a lion star sign. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of just always been an ever present thing in my life. And if you ever get on a Zoom call with me, you'll see a bunch of lions and other animals in the background. Um, so yeah, that that's like I've always had. It's my spirit animal. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I love uh, the name of the company too, Curious Line. That's just perfect. It Al aligns with you so much. Well, uh, great stuff, Andrew. Let me, let me reflect a little bit on what I learned just from talking to you today. Uh, some of the things early on, just these almost definitions, you know, what, what's a learning culture, you know, courage in the face of making mistakes, looking mm. at it instead as an opportunity. How you define culture is the shared assumptions for how we do things. And the, the way to build a culture is commitment and bravery and able to, to change, mm -hmm. um, to, to optimize the planner, not the plan, right? That it's really about the people, giving them the tools to succeed. That's what your, your company does. 
I remember this term from when we had a call a number of months ago that you used, which was new to me, called present bias. And I think mm. that's just so critical with companies, especially today, to resist the temptation to focus on instant gratification. Um, of course, there are short-term decisions we have to make, but we need to be making them for a longer-term purpose. And uh, just looking at your your past, those 12 important years with uh, KPMG, focusing on internal training and serving then external customers, how you went out on your own to start Curious Lion, you know, creating all these videos that no nobody bought <laughs> and then, you know, making a bunch of mistakes in those early yeah. lessons. And but realizing you had a skill for taking knowledge and turning that knowledge into training. And that's that was your your special sauce. You finally got traction. Love the lessons from your folks because I resonate with them completely. Your mom gave you that uh, ability to welcome people, the inclusiveness. And I just lost my mom at 93 years old just a couple of weeks ago. And that was oh. that was what was so beautiful about her is the oh. way she made other people feel and made them part of it. And actually, um, uh, funny thing was that she worked for my brothers and I in our company as a trainer. Yeah. So she helped us build that learning organization. What a legend. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, your dad with the organizational ability. And again, I then reflect on my own dad, who's 96 years old and, and wow. again, has just got it together and is just, uh, he was a lawyer, but also um, had mm. that organizational talent. Mm. Um, and, and so there's these really important things in your life. These people, the friend of your dad who gave you the entrepreneurial st uh, start mm. Um, so, you know, your first job was really tutoring math, right. And realize, mm -hmm. well, I can kind of make, um, money, a little money doing this. Um, you made the, the big move with KPMG to, to immigrate, you know, mm -hmm. now 13 years ago, you had these incredible influences by these female leaders there who, um, mentored you, encouraged you. And, and even the notion of what it would take to leave that corporate job um, and and pursue something on your own, you didn't make some huge, you know, have a um, a big epiphany one day, but you you started slowly. You worked for another company. You saw what you could do on your own, and that should really encourage other people that we all need and should be fulfilled in our life and our work. And if we're not, um, that there's other opportunities out there, and that we can. Um, we can take that risk. And you took a huge risk coming out of college and getting that job with KPMG. They probably <laughs> did with you by by allowing, you know, this guy with dreadlocks to come in and put him <laughs> in front of customers, right? Yeah, um, but, yeah. but a huge lesson you learned there around the fact that we we all judge. We all judge people based mm -hmm. on, you know, first impressions and appearance. But when those people got to see what was behind the dreadlocks, that there was someone that had knowledge that was um, they were surprised. And, and, uh, so it's just a, a, a gentle reminder for all of us to hold back that judgment and try to get inside and understand yeah. what people are really about. Um, and you know, you're no different than everybody else who's going through challenges right now, um, because of not only the economy and, and the year, but also going through the realization that the business has to change. Your role has to change over time as you release some of that control and realize that it's going to have to be less about you and more about what the organization um, can deliver. Um, and, uh, and that we all can be honest about what we still need to improve upon because that journey still continues. 
and will never go away. And for you, it's about storytelling, which is, I think, going to be super important as you continue that thought leadership journey and you start to balance the, the relationship between the thought leadership and the service aspect of, of what you're doing. And, and I love the fact that, you know, you're encouraging small companies to say, you know, whether you um, are a client or you're not a client, we're going to f- find a way to give you the tools so that on your own, you can become learning organizations at whatever industry and whatever company size it can, it can be done. And lastly, uh, your advice to younger people, which is just start earlier, right? Because we all have these ideas and these concepts and uh, we're afraid for any number of reasons, but it takes, again, learning a little bit of risk to go out there and, and pursue your dreams, whatever they are. And, and the sooner you can do it, the closer you are to fulfillment for your own life and impact on, on those around yeah. you. So um, just just love those reflections, Andrew, and what an incredible story. We look forward to following your story and, and, uh, and to the impact that you're going to make on lots of leaders um, all over. So thank you so much for, for being on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me for this fantastic format. I've never had the opportunity to talk through as much of these stories as, as I did now and for that amazing reflection on it. It's really cool to hear you speak that back to me, Paul. So, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, well, thank you. And thanks for listening to this episode of the Growing With Purpose podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about purpose-driven leadership, go to smallgiants.org or follow us on Twitter at Small Giants Buzz. Until next time.